All right, and we're back. This is Rumble in the Garden podcast. I'm your host, Norman. Uh, we are talking to Chris from VU Hoops, uh, getting a sense of uh, how we think about this very strange upcoming Big East season. Before we go on, I'll say that you can find us at Rumble SBN on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook, Rumble in the Garden, where we sometimes post updates, pictures, and all sorts of things. Uh, Chris, when people are trying to find your work, they can look to VU Hoops on the, on the Twitter. There's a VU Hoops on Facebook. Are there any other outlets that people should try to find you at? Yeah, we were successfully able to get a VU Hoops on Instagram as well. Uh, we've got somebody who actually regularly posts updates, and uh, we get some likes, and it seems like the preferred outlet, uh, uh, or at least the number two outlet behind Twitter. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. We haven't really stepped up our Instagram game yet, but that's a plan for the new year. Yeah, how are things going? Uh, things are going pretty good. Um, it, you know, if anybody follows me out there on Twitter, I had a, a rough couple of weeks where I did this crazy thing and suggested that, you know, Villanova just isn't that good and, and maybe, you know, we should do some different things and and was called a hater and don't know what you're talking about and log off and all the good stuff. Um, just par for the course, really, after, you know, five great years and really great is probably understating over for Villanova. Eight and four, not that bad. Tough start to the season, um, and the world is falling apart. So it's been great. So, I mean, as, as Chris mentioned, Villanova being the current standard bearer of the current iteration of the Big East has had some semi-struggles, I guess. They're eight and four with losses to, uh, what's it, Kansas, Furman, and Penn, and I'm forgetting the fourth. Uh, Kansas, most recently. Kansas, Furman, Penn, and what was the fourth one, though? Michigan. Michigan. I mean, the Michigan one in particular was, I gotta say, whew. Yeah, the the Michigan loss, I think, in retrospect, you kind of go like, okay, they're they're really, really good. So, losing to them, there's no shame in that. But the way that that game went down was, you know, cover your eyes, change the channel, just like, just forget about it immediately. And, and that was... God, I want to say that was like the third game of the season, I think. And, and Villanova yeah. didn't look great in their first two, but blew out a couple of bad teams. So you kind of just figure going into that, that, hey, you know, this is going to be a good game at the very least. You know, Villanova, I think I remember favored by eight, nine points, something like that at home, which, you know, at the time didn't seem crazy. And then that happens and you're like, wow, what, what is happening here? You know, Michigan's really good. Does Villanova suck? And, you know, since then, I think they've, while they've taken some losses, at least all of the losses have been close. Um, they haven't gotten destroyed or embarrassed like that um, since then. So it's been a step forward, but that was certainly a slap in the face to open up the season and really a warning shot of, hey, this year's going to be pretty different than the ones in the past. So in terms of different, I guess, you know, one thing that really stands out, and, and this isn't a Villanova cast, but I just find that this is kind of interesting, again, as a standard bearer, um, the loss to Penn was the first Big Five loss in how long? Oh, gosh, it was. We had ripped off 25 straight in the Big Five, so that's about six years. Wow. <clears throat> I mean, <laughs> and the thing is, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. So, you know, it's a rivalry game. Sometimes the kids just, uh, you know, they know what to do. The Furman loss was probably the one that's most surprising, but Furman has a tight, tight squad this year. So... You know, it's one of those things where, yes, Villanova has four losses. Hopefully they won't lose to Connecticut because, come on, man. You don't do that. But a while if that one happens. That's yeah. a point, given from where I'm from to take. But Villanova's struggles are indicative of a down Big East, I would say. And what have you seen when you're looking around at the other Big East teams? Yeah, I think it's exactly like what you said it's certainly a down year and i think we all knew coming into it that this would be a down year um despite villanova being ranked in the top 10 of the preseason i think mostly everybody knew that ranking was based on previous seasons and based on reputation not based on the actual roster um i don't think people thought we that villanova would be eight and four at this point either but but certainly um as the kind of preseason favorite they weren't going to be as good as previous years 
Um, Marquette was, I think, the only other kind of around the preseason top 25, or maybe they were just in. Um, they haven't looked probably as good as we all thought they would be. And then the rest of the league is just competitive. Um, you know, you look at Ken Palm and you've got, I think, eight teams in the top 75. And then I think DePaul and Georgetown are like barely outside the top 100. So, yeah, 101 and 105. Yeah, there's a lot of clutter in the middle, um, which speaks to probably what will be an entertaining season, um, but probably one that isn't going to yield any elite teams or any you know true Final Four contenders because I think we're probably all prepared for everyone to just beat the hell out of each other. Yeah, and that's you know kind of what the old Big East was about. But when you have a league that beats up on each other, a la well the unbalanced Big Ten last year, or okay the bad pack. 12 or a better example is uh is the big 12 year in year out you do have that problem where there are a few deserving teams that don't you know make the ncaa's because somebody gets injured or you know just you have a bad game one day and that's uh it's it's going to be interesting because i do feel like this is the year that there will be a team with a winning record or a um or a 500 record that won't get in this year. Yeah, it could, it could be. I mean, if you look around the league right now, I think we would all probably say, you know, Villanova, Butler, Marquette are probably pretty safe bets to get into the tournament, just, you know, where things stand right now. Uh, St. John's really great start to the season against, you know, not the strongest schedule, but they're packing up wins and, you know, as long as they don't fall flat on their face in the conference, which I'm sure we'll talk more about, I don't expect them to do, they're in. That's four teams, which is probably the floor for what you want to see out of the Big East year over year. And then, you know, you bounce around to Creighton has looked okay. Seton Hall, Providence have shown some some promise at least. And, and Xavier's got a talented roster. They just, you know, seem like they're struggling to put it all together. And even at the basement, I mean, DePaul's, what, 8-2, and two, Georgetown's around the same. I mean, everybody's kind of had a decent non-conference start here. Nobody's picking up, like, terrible, terrible losses, at least that, that I can remember that are going to be, like, you know, RPI killers, so to speak, at least yeah. if you don't consider DePaul and Georgetown in that mix. So there's going to be the chance for teams to get in there. I, I, I've seen Lunardi and some of those guys say, you know, four to five teams out of the Big East. That's probably about what I would expect. I just don't think you're going to see, like, top three, top two seeds uh, like we've seen in the years past. You're going to have a big a bunch of teams probably from the, you know, 4 to 12 range, which that probably will tell you what what you can expect out of the Big East in the tournament. You're probably not going to get a lot of deep runs out of people unless, you know, somebody gets extremely hot and carries their team for a couple of weekends. For sure. I mean, I, I would go even farther and say that I don't know that any Big East team, unless like Villanova or St. John's runs a good chunk of the table, maybe Marquette. I don't see any of those teams getting higher than like a, a six seed, really. Just because, yeah, be you know, I, I mean, I don't think that the league is such that anybody's going to run through it. And so that's going to give, that's going to, there's going to be doubts. And there's going to be a bunch of ACC teams in Michigan that are going to be kind of top level because they've had those wins already. Uh, and I mean, Butler's already had losses to Dayton and St. Louis, you know, and St. Louis is good. Dayton's good, but I don't think that with those losses you're going to get like a top four seed. Yeah, and and, and we've seen out of the committee that they don't reward, uh, at least on paper, good losses, right? So you go down the, the list of the Big East this year and you look at like Marquette has lost two games to Indiana and Kansas, two top 25 teams. And, and away and at a neutral site. I mean, those are good losses. No, nobody's really picking up those good wins, right? So, like, B Butler lost to Indiana. Marquette lost to Indiana. Michigan uh, and Kansas both beat Villanova. Um, th there's just not going to be those types of wins available in the Big East this year that are going to be able to put um, Big East teams over the top. Like, you know, if you're St. John's or you're Marquette and you beat Villanova this year, congratulations, you've beaten a top 30 Ken Palm team. You haven't beaten a top 5 Ken Palm team like the past few years, right? So... That's where that's where I think you're dead on that there's going to be a lot of, you know, probably five, six, seven, eight seeds coming out of the Big East this year because conference, I mean, what would you say to win the Big East this year? How many wins are you going to need? Because to me, I'm probably thinking way lower than usual. I think the first one of 13 definitely wins, and I think the winner might have 12. 
right? I don't think yeah. it'll be as low as 11 because I think, I mean, there's going to be a scrum in the middle and it's going to be an interesting scrum. And, you know, teams are going to have to, you know, they're going to have to make their free throws. Somebody's going to lose out because they're not making their free throws. Somebody like Providence, I would say. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, look at Kempom right now. They've got Villanova projected to win the conference still with a 12 and six record. That that's outrageous when you look at the past few years, where um, you know Villanova's obviously dominated the league, and you know Xavier won it last year. But it's been 14, 15, 16 wins to win the league. Um, so that that just that that right there from Kempom just speaks to you know, the parity in the conference. There's just no you know great team this year. Everybody, or not everybody, but the majority of the teams are good to, you know, maybe very good. But yeah, there's, there's there, there does seem to be a lot of that kind of maybe at the end of the season they'll be good or maybe next year they'll be good kind of talent. You know, you look at Creighton and Mitch Ballack and Tyshawn Alexander and uh, what's his name? Um, um, their big guy, not Epperson, the um, uh, Martin and Crampel, you know, guys like that you could see them being really good next year. And this year, maybe they make noise at the end of the season, but they're not quite there yet. Or or Providence, who has like two or three excellent freshmen, a bunch of good sophomores, but it just hasn't necessarily come together into something that's a really fearsome uh, uh, fearsome attack yet. Yeah, I mean, we, we knew this about the league too, coming into the year, that there's just... Everybody lost too much, and this is a kind of rebuilding year for the league, and and that's totally fine. And I think it's still going to be a very fun season to watch. Um, you know, I've I've not gotten a chance to watch every single team in the league yet, but I, I think I've caught everybody, other than I think DePaul and um, DePaul and St. John's. But but St. John's, like I'm not worried about. They're fun. They've got a lot of talent, and DePaul, based on people who have seen them, seem to be like these guys actually might be okay this year. So. If if you've got that type of parity around the league, you don't have to have elite teams to make it a great league. This can be a really fun and good league that that still produces somewhere between four and six NCAA tournament teams. And if every single game matters and every single game is a war, that's still really fun for fans to watch and, and enjoy on a night to night basis. It's, you know, it's it's kind of true, but I I feel like. A lot of fans, and this is just my personal opinion, and this is a kind of a baseball thing, and so hear me out. Um, one of the things that bugs me about baseball now is that there are so many wildcard teams, there are three divisions. And when I was young, there were two divisions per league, and sometimes you won, and sometimes you won, you know, 100 games, and you stayed home. And that was okay, you know? It was like, you wish you'd won those few other games. You wish you'd taken, I don't know, what was it, the Cubs and the Mets in the late 80s? Uh, I forget who it was. But, uh, you know, you wish you'd gotten those games, but, you know, you've had a good season. You have some good talent. You come back and do it again next year. And I feel like people are, aren't used to the idea that you can just have a good league with good players and maybe a bunch of teams go to the NIT, and that's fine. Um, <clears throat> I mean... I say that now, but you know, when when, when February uh, comes and St. John's is on the bubble, I'm sure that we'll all be uh, you know ultra nervous and not talking about how it's a great season or anything like that. Yeah, well, let, let me be clear: the NIT is not fine. Um, <laughs> the uh, the NCAA tournament is definitely like the the minimum required result um, for for my team, and and certainly I would I would think for most programs in the Big East, but. More, more, you know, more to my point is I think just you, you can, you know, we get swept up in, in people calling the Big East a mid-major and, and not being a part of the Power Five structure and like whatever, tune it out. It, it's totally okay. Go, go by hard data. The Big East has been more often than not since realignment a top three conference in the sport. That's all you need to know. And they very likely will not be that this year. But as long as you're still producing NCAA tournament teams, like mi minimum four, I would say, and as long as they are, you know, playing good basketball and, and maybe get a couple teams into the second weekend, that that's nobody's going to like be like, oh, the Big East sucks, because the narrative the past few years has been, okay, we we got six teams into the tournament or seven teams into the tournament, but but one team made it to the second weekend, so the conference sucked. So this year you get four teams in and two go to the second weekend. What what are people really going to say? 
Like you, you just want as many good basketball teams and competitive basketball teams as possible. And I just think it's a cool new experience because especially coming from the Villanova side, while it's been really fun just being the dominant power <clears throat> in the conference and, and seeing that much success, I, I think this is kind of a fun season in a certain weird way just to say, okay, the, pl- the playing field has been leveled out a little bit. Everybody's on, a, on the same tier, it feels like. Let's see like what happens this year. And, you know, I'm going to be mad if, if Villanova doesn't win the Big East. I'm going to be mad if Villanova continues to play like crap over the next few months. But it's different, and, and different can be fun to me as a fan instead of just the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I think for, you know, for the last couple of years, honestly, watching a Villanova game was watching a foregone conclusion. And last year, I mean, one of the exciting things about last year was that Villanova – Got some surprise challenges on their way uh, on their way to to the championship. They got St. John's and caught one there. They got mm-hmm. Butler and Butler, you know, brought like what was it? Didn't they like just bomb them with threes or something like that? It was it was it was a tough one. They went like it was like fifteen of something like it was fifteen like, of twenty two. I just brought it up twenty two. Yeah, it was like the it was uh, the volume was insane of makes and like the percentage was outrageous. I mean, I watched a little bit of that game. And I was like, "This is bananas! This is cheat code bananas!" Yeah, you just, you just, you tip your cap and you go, "Good, good shooting, boys! Like you got us. There's nothing you can do against that." Like Jor- Jorgensen last year, at one point, they were up like four or five, and like momentum was swinging in Hankel, and he pulled up from like forty feet, like maybe forty-five. <laughs> like he was on the logo at midcourt on a fast break, and just decided, like, "F it, this is going up." Nothing but net. Place goes bonkers. And I remember at that point, I just stood up, went to my fridge, like got another beer, and was like, "This is an L. Like, there, there's no way we're winning this game if he's doing that." And you just go, "Whatever." Yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to be a lot of fun because I mean, Butler is a team that I think year in and year out has been good, but not second weekend good. It, yeah, you, you kind of want to see if they can do something with this roster. Um, but I feel like every time you look at Butler, you just think, how do you guys do this every single year with these, like, these aren't necessarily great talents, you know? Though Paul Jorgensen has a, you know, a, uh, a confidence, a shooting confidence that is uh, unparalleled. And Kamar Baldwin can really play, and he's super powerful, and Aaron Thompson's really good. But you just wonder how the rest of them actually make this happen. It, it it is surprising, but and they're about to get Jordan Tucker back, or maybe he already played his. first I think game. he played his first game, yeah. Yeah, so like, and that's the thing that I think Butler has done really well recently, right? So in the Brad Stevens era, they were, you know, a bunch of unheralded guys, really well coached, really well drilled, and just executed well, and 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 you know played together as a team, and went probably further than their talent should have allowed them to, and that's really credible. But what that does, and it, it's kind of similar to what I've seen at Villanova happen, is it builds that culture of the program about this is who we are, this is the way we play, and and this is what makes us successful, and players buy into that. What they've done since then with Holtman and now Laval Jordan is they've gone out and gotten some really good players. And some of those guys like Kamaro Baldwin and Paul Jorgensen and and even down to like, um, I can't even think of the guy's name that I'm thinking of right now, um, uh, Christian David, um, who's, oh, yeah, who's yeah. last year with an injury, like those have been like good recruits, not great, but now they're starting to layer in guys like Aaron Thompson and, and Jordan Tucker and Joey Brunk, who are you know nationally recruited. Everybody wants them guys, and when you kind of mi- get that mix going, you you actually get consistent success. So I'm not like totally shocked by what I'm seeing. You can kind of pencil them in in the top half of the conference most years just based on reputation alone because they have the formula down um, and and they seem comfortable with it, right? They hire within the program. They don't go out trying to make some superstar hire. They recruit the type of guys that fit their system and and they're good and and they'll stay good for that reason. Yeah. Uh, Again, this is the Rumble in the Garden podcast in case you were wondering what you're listening to. Just figured I'd throw that out there. Uh, Two more things. First... Got to say that for an end, for an end of uh, non-conference, the slate coming up for most of the teams is pretty impressive. You've got Villanova versus UConn. Okay, whatever. Uh, Butler hosting a good UC Irvine team. You've got 
Uh, Xavier versus Detroit, which should be interesting. Providence at Texas, strong. Seton Hall at Maryland, also strong. Okay, you got Georgetown. DePaul's playing Boston College. St. John's is playing Sacred Heart. Creighton's playing something called Co. And then Marquette <laughs> is welcoming Buffalo. You know, it's shocking. That's in a way. Yeah, that's um, that's that's going to be a really interesting matchup, I think, because uh, you know Marquette wants to you know stay ranked and all that, and be being the only ranked team in the Big East. But Buffalo is tough. I was in uh, Belfast watching them in um, in that tournament that they played a, a few weeks back. And the thing that struck me about Buffalo is that they're so damn physical. It's just like, you know, I feel bruises watching them defend. Yeah, and I, you know, it reminds me, everybody makes a comparison, but it does remind me of last year with St. Bonnie's. Um, They're they just a good team, and I really, I, I do enjoy a good mid-major that has good players and, and plays with that kind of swagger and confidence. Like, they walk in and they are not intimidated. What they did do... To Syracuse the other night. I mean, obviously, I'm sure we were all like, "Go on, get it done!" <laughs> like, just just whoop them up so good. But it was it was um, it's just exciting for me and and special to see that kind of team like walk into a building and and go like, "All right, like we're little old Buffalo and and your big bad Syracuse and just take them out back and just give them a spank and like it is fun. It is fun. I mean, that's a. That's a good team. I, I mean, I hope they don't have to focus too much on going undefeated. I hope they have enough for an at-large bid because, uh, you know, they're probably going to falter at some point. The MAC is a pretty good conference, you know. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they do against Marquette because Marquette's going to have to shoot the living hell out of the ball and find a way to deal with that physicality that I don't know that they're good at yet. Yeah, they um, it's weird to me. Like I, you know, I've seen them play twice this year, and and it was both both the times that they lost. So maybe my opinion's a little bit skewed. Um, but they just they don't seem to have taken that step forward on the defensive side of the ball that I think probably is required out of them to to do something better than what they've done in years past. So you know, just you know, you look up and down their schedule, and it hasn't been the toughest schedule. The Wisconsin win was pretty impressive, and and the Louisville win uh, was pretty impressive. It's good that they can win tight games like that. But when they got up against Indiana, that was like one of the ugliest performances I've ever seen and, and kind of was a, a, a sign to me that this team is not there yet. Um, and, and there's no shame in losing to Kansas, obviously. So, so whatever on that one. But the offense hasn't looked quite there yet, and the defense doesn't seem like it's taken that step forward. So... I kind of am curious to see Marquette get into the Big East season because, frankly, they're going to get you know punched in the mouth most nights here. So they're the team that's interesting to me. They've got the talent to win the league, undoubtedly. Um, and, and probably going into Big East season, you, you'd think they're probably the favorite at this point, I would think, um, just based on performance to date. But it's going to be interesting. Like Their ceiling and, and their floor like are pretty wide to me. They could be somebody that wins the league, and they could be somebody who ends up finishing like fourth or fifth, just because I'm not com- super confident in their ability to stop anyone yet. Um, and if Marcus Howard and, and you know Hauser's been the Hauser brothers have been good, but Marcus Howard doesn't pick it up, like I'm just not totally sure because the last couple of years he's been unbelievable and it hasn't been enough, and now he's kind of very good. Now that that is a strong take, I like that. Strong right. take. It's just not been. It's I want. I don't want to say he's been bad. I mean, I think he's a, like top ten in uh, Ken Palm's Player of the Year race still. Like he's not been bad. He's just not been excellent. And and he's been excellent the past few years on the offensive end. All right. Yeah. I mean, I think I think he's I think he's pretty good. And I think you know at least by the numbers, the defense has gotten better. I mean, but that's because <laughs> that defense was god awful last year. So. Right. It's hard to know what better means when, you know, everybody and their and their mother had a go at you, you know. I, I don't know. So it's yeah. it's one of those things that we'll see, I think. Yeah, I'm with you. That like it was such a low bar for them to clear on the defensive front. It is better. It's just not where it needs to be. And you know, 
it's like glass houses right here from a Villanova fan, right? Like our defense is terrible. It's not where it needs to be either, but it's part of the reason why I think we're saying like, there's no great team in the big East. The biggest issue is defense. Like this we've is been true. a couple of games going to the hundreds during the conference season. This is true. I mean, one of the, one of the things you can see looking at the, at the Kempom data is that there's no defense ranked higher than 44th. And that's, Marquette. That's Marquette. They're the best defensive team in the conference. I mean, that's not good. No. I mean, we've got a couple. We've got four 100s. You've got Xavier at 126, Creighton at 123, DePaul at 103, despite their awesome rebounding. you got to see their bigs. Uh, Paul Reed and uh, Jalen Butts, strong. Uh, and Georgetown is 102. You know, Creighton makes sense because their defense has always been sort of like a just let's not look at that. They'll outscore. They bother you enough, whatever. But Xavier's, uh, assuming that, I haven't seen Xavier yet, but they're still probably playing around the same kind of defense. And the Banners on the Parkway guys in particular would always note that that defense leaves you open for barrages of threes. And now it seems like they don't have guys good enough to keep those barrages of threes kind of below the cut line, you know? And now they're just getting, uh, just getting their, you know, they're just getting beat by the Missouris of the world and getting beat badly. Yeah, they've been a, they've been a mess, and and I've only seen them play once, but I, I expected it. I mean, they're they have such a talented roster. Um, like Chris Mack did not leave that cupboard bare at all. Um, but it, it's a big change. Like I don't care what program you are. They Any lost a lot program. too, though. I mean, they lost like yeah. three very impactful wings and they replaced them with guys who I don't know, maybe are redundant and like Quentin Gooden and, and Paul Scruggs or Najee Marshall. And uh, who am I thinking of? Uh, uh, I guess Willage, but not really. I mean, they're, they're kind of different players, but yeah, you know, you have guys who sort of, I don't know how well they play together. I haven't seen them yet. Yeah. They're, they're very comparable to Villanova in my opinion. Like the guys they lost were cornerstones of the program. They weren't just like, good players right they were four-year stars for that team that's what Villanova loses in in a few of their guys is guys who'd been starting for two to three to four years and who'd been averaging double figures for two to three to four years and when you lose that yeah you could have a talented roster by you know the recruiting rankings or whatever metric you want to use but everybody's in a new role and that's what it feels like Xavier's going through and you combine that with a new coach and, you know, obviously he's on staff. He's probably running a lot of the same schemes. I haven't watched them close enough to know or not. But, um, you know, you assume he's doing a lot of the same things. But that's a lot of change in one offseason, and it's going to take him some time. Now, I'm, I'm absolutely stunned that their defensive numbers are that low because I just don't ever remember them being, like, anywhere near that bad. But um, I would expect that to get better as the year goes on. Um, their, their defense, you're absolutely correct, is – predicated on gambles and leaving people open and and for years Villanova's made a, a mockery of that defense by hitting open shots so I've, I've seen the the holes in that defense but it feels like every night out they're just getting scorched or burned badly um playing that scheme and it's hard to know if that's the scheme if it's bad luck or if it's just players aren't getting it I mean there, there's a, a a whole mess going on over there that needs to be sorted out quick for sure. I mean, and, you know, if you look at the numbers, they're, um, they're interesting. The thing that seems to be really different between last year and this year is that opponents are making a lot more threes. Last year it was 33.4%. This year it is 37.4%. You know, that's four percentage points there. It's, that's, that's some bad luck. That's, you know. That's my opinion. It, it could be, but, you know, they're allowing a few more of those threes. I don't know. It's the kind of thing where... It's not a bad gamble for a college team to predicate themselves on rushing you and making you take threes because college kids are not going to be every night that sharp. So, you know, there, there's something to be said for that, that kind of defense. Uh, of course, when St. John's does it, it seems like the opponents get really sharp and nail a lot of those threes. <laughs> problematic. Very problematic. While I have you here, I'm going to run through some of our listener questions, and you can, you can have fun chiming in on them. Are you ready, Chris? Fire away. Okay. Uh, first question. This is, so I was going to do a podcast a couple of weeks ago 
and and it ended ended up getting scuttled, rescheduled, and now we're here. So this is from a few weeks ago. When will St. John's lose their first game? Ooh, that is a good shout. Um, you're definitely going to beat Sacred Heart. I think you said that was the next game, right? Mm-hmm. And who do you have? Seton oh, Hall in Newark. You go. You go Seton Hall, away, Marquette, Marquette, and Georgetown. Oh man, I'm at, at Georgetown and then at Villanova. Uh, you are definitely going to lose your first game. At you know, no, I think you lose your first game. Oh gosh, I actually kind of like your schedule. I think you lose your first game to Marquette at home, uh, oh, and it's funny because you actually got Kempom gives you only a forty-one percent chance to beat Seton Hall away. I think you'll beat them. Um, they've got that as a two-point Seton Hall win. So yeah, I think you. I think you probably fall to Marquette, and I. I want to just say it's like one of those. I think you match up pretty well with them. That'll be a pretty up and down game. I think I just trust Marquette's offense a bit more than I trust St. John's, just given the quality of opposition so far. Um, If you don't lose that game, I think you might go on a little bit of a run until you get to Butler away. Wow. Even Villanova. Yeah. I I, I think you guys have figured out Villanova. Um, You know, people made fun of Mullen as a coach and, you know, you know, there's some criticism that's warranted there, but the way you played Nova last year in both games was successful. Uh, I think you went one and one, right? Mm-hmm. But that was successful, and this year's team is much worse. So you just go with that same strategy. I, I think you go two and zero versus Nova this year uh, if you just play us like you did last year, which is pressure the crap out of the ball. Shapori Shapori Pons goes off, and and you get you know, quality contributions from everyone else. Cause I'm just not sure what Villanova is going to do. We, we don't have the ball handlers to deal with the pressure that St. John's is going to bring. Good. All right. I, for my opinion, I'll say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be bold with this one. And, and this is what I really think. Saturday, January 12th, DePaul at home. Wow. I think that it's the kind of game that, you know, guys will be confident, overconfident. Something will happen. DePaul will really open up the, the, the full bag of tricks and hit the offensive rebounds. It'll get ugly. Somebody will get hit hard in the face. And DePaul comes out with a win. The Struce gets loose. The Struce gets loose. And that's the thing, too, that I think that watching St. John's play DePaul, they didn't necessarily do a great job of containing Struce. And they also didn't seem to attack that defense very well. It was a weird thing, and I'd like to think that they're better than that. But, you know, this isn't a team that I think is going to go undefeated. And I, think it's a, and I don't think it's a team that is as prone to lapses as last year. But I think I can see a lapse coming on. But it's hard, it's hard to tell. You know, it also depends on whether C.D. Keita comes back uh, pretty quickly, because I think he's a big part Oh, at that. least slowing things down. That's the one thing that that probably makes all the world of difference. Um, but yeah, I actually like really like your guys' schedule the way it lines up early in the year. I mean, Villanova away is obviously tricky. Seton Hall's a rivalry game. Like, you know, I, I, I think you're better than them. And and Marquette, you get at home. You get uh, Creighton at home to start the year. I mean, you could tee off for a while, like until mid January. So. I think it lines up pretty nicely. Hmm. You know, I, I I feel like this is a this is a conversation that we're going to have next week coming up to uh, Big East play because there certainly are a number of people who who follow St. John's who are you know really you know, they have their eyebrows raised at how they've played so far. But the thing is, St. John's has managed to win games where they played like crap. They've managed to win games where they've spotted the other team a lot of easy, comfortable looks, and they have Shamori Pond. So, you know, these things can happen. So we'll leave that. And then, um, let's see, the status of recruiting question. Well, you know, we, we, we have a, uh, a uh, transfer in Ian Steer who's coming soon now. And then um, 
Cameron Mack, who is a uh, Juco point guard coming next year. And then the team is uh, going to get a visit from Kofi Cockburn and also hopefully from Precious Achua near the end of the year, who still is interested in St. John's. So I'll just leave that out there. Um, next, biggest question is Kata's return. When will Kata return? Man, I don't know. Hopefully next week. Yeah, what did they have him at? Four to six weeks? Four to six weeks. And six weeks was at the Nova game. I remember, I feel like I remember tweeting about that. Like the the end of that was like right at the Nova game. So, I think it was earlier. I thought it was, uh, I thought four weeks would have would have already passed. I think we're at five. I think six weeks is is early January. Oh, okay. So I don't know. I, I mean, uh, how tight are you guys with your injury reporting? Like you can't get anything out of Villanova. Like so, somebody could be on their deathbed. Uh, like I distinctly remember the Javon Pinkston thing when he got um, a staph infection and almost lost its leg. Like that part of the story came out like six months later. Yeah, I mean the injury reporting is quiet. Is is what I'll say. You know, uh, though Mullen did say that he is uh, moving around and not quite practicing, but I guess getting in some workouts. So hopefully. So he- he will want to be back, it sounds like. like You imagine if it's him, he absolutely wants to play against Seton Hall. Rivalry game and all that. And and coaching staff is probably looking more at Georgetown, just going, like, we need a body on Jesse Govan. I think for Marquette, you kind of want a body, too, because Marquette has a few bodies that you want to slow down. And I think C.D. Keita's role might honestly not be star big man. It might be slow things down big man, get a few touches big man, you know, give the, give the opponent a little bit of a massage, big man, you know? Yeah, yeah. So in there. So one of so one of those three games. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Because I do think that this team would be different and more versatile on defense with him there. Uh, then they wouldn't have to necessarily switch one to five. And if you needed to, say, put a person on, um, on a little man for Marquette. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to call him Little Man. Little Man from Marquette. Then, uh, then uh, you, you, know, you can do that. Next question. Uh, hmm. Are we wasting the talents of Heron? I'm going to leave that one alone because I think seeing a full accounting of what Mustafa Heron can do will require him to actually play more away from the basket. Right now, he's kind of like a hybrid forward. Um, filling in and rebounding. So he's doing a few things differently, and then when he gets the ball, he's obviously trying to jumpstart his offense. Yeah, it's it's been interesting the way you've used him, I'll say that, because I, I don't know, I, and I guess it's probably just missing, um, it, it's missing Kata at this point, right? Like, that that's why you're playing him so much in the post, but I would have thought he'd be more on the perimeter and you'd, and you'd use Marvin Clark kind of solely as your five-man in um, and, and use Heron out there. So it, it'll be interesting. It just feels like you guys are playing with a, with a short back right now. And, and once uh, Kate is back, like we'll, get, we'll get the real story of how Mullen wants to use everyone. I do think that there's a, there's a strong desire to have this switching, uh, flipping, uh, you know, guard and wing heavy squad. So I don't know that it's going to look that different. I think he likes that wide open five out sort of look. And I think with Figueroa, you've got the kind of players who can make that sort of thing work. You know, you're not going to dominate on the boards all the time, but you're at least competing and you have enough shooters and drivers that you can really cause confusion. Yeah, I mean, speaking from watching the best five-out offense of all time last season, it is desirable, and when it clicks, it's basically unstoppable on offense. I mean, the problem you run into, and I think especially the problem St. John's will run into if Kata doesn't come back, is you you will not be matchup proof um, with that roster. And we saw last year Villanova wasn't matchup proof. Um, and, And there will be coaches in this league who are smart enough to go, oh, you're, you're going to have Mustafa Heron or Marvin Clark guard Jesse Govan. Like, we're just going to give it to Jesse Govan 25 times tonight. Mm-hmm. And, and you won't be able to stop him, right? You, you do need, at a certain point, it does break down to the point where you do need a, a true front court player, at least another option to try to slow that down. Yeah. We went over into that last year, right? And we, 
actually saw that this past weekend against Kansas where we all kind of went, oh, this, you know, Yudoka Azubuki's out. This is a good thing. And then Diedrich Lawson just, like, eats everybody's lunch all game, right? So it, there's always a matchup to exploit. And, and, you know, while for everything it offers on offense and it offers a ton, you might give up a little bit on defense for that. Sure. And I think with uh... – Especially with Georgetown and with Butler, I think those are games where you, you should, and, and DePaul too, those are games where I think that will come in, uh, or that, that will be a really, really uh, vital factor to the game. Uh, you know, Butler's bigs aren't great, but they are strong and they are willing to get deep in there. Fowler and, and Brunk both have done a really good job of getting ridiculously deep position. And that's a hard thing to, to uh, guard against if you don't have the size. Yeah, they're very good at catching the ball deep and laying it in. And and that's uh, that's an admirable skill. So uh, a couple of other questions. Uh, this is one about from Screen the Screener about can the smaller lineup defend enough on the perimeter? And we kind of touched on that, that um, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think against matchups, it's... Um, it's hard to say, especially against Big East level matchups where you have guys who are bigger, stronger, faster, and more skilled than the NEC teams that uh, St. John's has faced so far. Um, I mean, what you have to do, and I think St. John's does this really well, um, is pressure the hell out of the ball. If you've got an undersized lineup and, and you've got defenders like Simon and Pons who are just long and quick and know what they're doing, that, that's your tip of the spear. And if you can speed up an opponent and get them out of rhythm and get them out of their sets and and cause a lot of havoc in the backcourt, that's how you mask the size problem. And St. John's historically, at least recently, has done that incredibly well. Credit to Chris Mullen. So you you can do it. Um, You know, there will be teams you run into who scheme around that. But most of who you're going to meet night in and night out, you can take advantage of that on, on probably more than half of the possessions. It's just utilize the strength of your backcourt to pressure the heck out of the ball and disrupt the rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One last question. Um, Why doesn't Chris Mullen use Josh Roberts or Marcellus Erlington to spell Marvin Clark, Marv time, even for a minute or two? And to this, and this is a longer piece that will be on the Rumble, but I've got to say that, you know, that around St. John's, there's been the strong clamoring for getting the freshmen some minutes. And certainly... I'm not, a, I'm not a coach. I'm not the coach. And, you know, there's always a second guessing that comes from, you know, all of us out here. Uh, so with that, you know, laid out, I will say that, you know, the, the preference would be to have given the freshman forwards a few minutes here and there in games that should be blowouts. That's true. But if a coach doesn't trust his guys yet, and he needs them to understand the game and see the game. I think that's something that needs to be, you know, one should see that there's probably a point there. You know what I mean? Um, like everybody wants the guy that they haven't seen. But even in the few minutes that we've seen Erlington and Roberts in particular, they're definitely still pretty raw. Roberts has got a lot of energy, but he's going to foul a lot. I think that's admirable. I think you put him out there sometimes and, you know, maybe he hits a few people. That's nice. Um, And Erlington is still figuring out his role. He needs to be able to shoot. You don't know quite what he's going to defend yet. And he's a guy who played high-level football for a long time. So it should be expected that he's not going to, you know, come out and be like, oh, yeah, let me jump on this Big East court and and make an impact immediately. Uh, The third freshman, Greg Williams, I think we'll be seeing more of him given uh, that – Mullen went to him mid-first half in the last game, and he got something like 16 minutes, and he looked fairly comfortable attacking the basket, playing defense, and uh, just being part of that squad. Yeah, I, I think everything you said there is right, and this is—it's funny, like not to make this about Villanova constantly, but the, this is my related experience in this season, and why I've been taking. Uh, so much abuse on on uh, social media over the last couple of weeks. But I asked the same questions about Villanova. If you look up their um, minutes allocation and usage stats, you, you kind of see Jay Wright is really trending to like, you know, six, maybe seven guys you could stretch it out to. And, and the team is eight and four. And so on the one hand, you go, this team isn't good enough. 
like at six guys, right? And, and like before even getting to like Phil Booth's injury history and how many minutes can he actually play, there's a lot out there. But the product that's being put on the court isn't good enough. So your natural instinct is go, we'll play the younger guys. And I think what a lot of people have rightly pointed out to me is, yeah, they're not ready. And it, it's painfully obvious that guys like Javon Quinterly have not been good when they've been on the court, like in large stretches. There's been flashes, but for the most part, it's not been good. Uh, Cole Swider, whose one big thing was supposed to be I can shoot the ball really well, is shooting like 25% from three. Um, the, and, and oddly enough, the one guy who um, you know uh, was not supposed to play a lot this year, Sadiq Bey, is starting. So it's a little all over the place with them. And, and, you know, to your point, you don't just play kids for the sake of playing kids if they're not going to help you win. Now, where I defer on this is, and this is probably different for Villanova than it is for St. John's, but Villanova, the main goal now as, you know, coming off the last five years is we want to compete for national championships. And this year's team, to me at least, is not going to compete for a national championship. We could turn around in March and that's different and, and I'll happily stand up and say I was completely wrong. I just don't see that happening. I think most people don't. So to me, the play the freshman and play younger guys element is let's get ready for next season because next season Villanova loses Phil Booth. They lose Eric Pascal, They lose Joe Cremo. And right now they would return Colin Gillespie, uh, Sadiq Bey, and Demir Cosby Roundtree as guys who are playing significant minutes while basically bringing back three freshmen who didn't play a ton and bringing in four freshmen who've never played college basketball in their life. So what do you think, if you're frustrated by this season and losing those four guys to the NBA and having not a lot of experience, what do you think next season looks like if you're not going to get these guys' experience now? For St. John's, it's a little bit of a different issue, um, mostly because I think you, you're maybe, you know, you're definitely losing Shamori Pons. You, you're definitely losing Marvin Clark. You maybe could lose Mustafa Heron in just supposed to lose Mustafa Heron, but yeah, <laughs> you maybe could. You probably won't, but right, it feels like you're much more in a. This is the 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 top of the hill for us, right? This is the most talented roster Chris Mullins had. This is win now time. I, I think Mullen probably feels it from the fan base and from the media that this is win now time. So, you guys, I totally get it. Like, definitely don't play freshmen. Um, just to play them. Go, go with your best guys and try to win as much as you can this year. For me at Villanova, it's like, listen, I want to win every game just like the next fan, right? But I, I want to see the bigger picture too. And if we're not going to play younger guys now in a transition year, I, I think next year just becomes a transition year again. And then then, then what does the year after look like? like I just don't know. Jay, Jay Wright's instincts are not to play young guys, but he's not blessed with the experience um, and the and the returning talent that somebody like St. John's is. But to be fair, I think that, you know, two months into a season, it's hard to say, it's hard to say what the third and fourth month will look like. And I think that maybe for a lot of guys, you know, it, the, the light turns on in mid-January, maybe turns on in February. I think that St. John's will get a, a little bit more mileage out of some of those guys, but it's a real we'll see kind of thing. You know, for St. John's, certainly the roster has already got its flaws. You'd like to see another big man on there, for example. But, yeah. But it, the, those are two different problems. And I'd be interested in seeing how that shakes out with Villanova because so many guys obviously came in thinking that they were going to be, you know, they were going to be part of this big thing. And, you know, and also, whatever happened to Jermaine Samuels? Is he still on the roster? Yeah, no, like, it's actually where I was just going to go is, like, that's the conundrum for a coach, right? So Jermaine Samuels starts the year in the starting lineup, doesn't do anything, gets put back on the bench, isn't playing a lot, and then a couple of weeks ago against Temple, Villanova's in another dogfight. Um, it's funny, I actually made a comment on Twitter, and I was like, this this game's actually screaming for Jermaine Samuels as a, as a small ball five to kind of play at this pace and play this frenetic type of basketball. And he comes in and scores 16 points in the second half and leads him to a win. And you kind of go, as a fan, you go, my initial instinct is like, I haven't told you so. And, and but, but who's to say I'm right? Who's to say Jay Wright wasn't waiting for that moment to say he's ready, I'm going to finally let him play, right? It, it's a chicken and egg scenario there. So you're right, you know, with guys like Josh Roberts and, and Marcellus Erlington, you probably will at some point this year, they will be – you know, either by required by foul trouble or something else to come into the game and they'll probably step up and, and have a good game at some point. And most people are going to go, hey, like, told you so. He was ready to play. We should have been playing him the whole time, but it's not that easy. 
it might just be that he stepped up and was ready and, 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 and was ready when his number was called and stepped up and did it, and you may never see him again. It was a one-time thing. So it's, it's a really hard thing to say, you know, when is the right time to put those freshmen in? And I think, you know, to my, to my uh, antagonist credit out there, it is probably the natural thing to do. Just say, trust the coach on that one. He'll play them when they're ready or when, when he feels they're ready. Um, and you just got to wait your turn as a freshman and, and try to learn and try your hardest. And when your number's called, step up and get it done. Sure. I mean, certainly for St. John's, there's always the doubt of, you know, having a coach who hadn't been a coach before. So, you know, I think that, 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 that is a source of a lot of people's doubts. Whereas Jay Wright's been at this for, how many years has it been? Fifteen. Oh, for Villanova, it was what, 2002 or 2003. So yeah, about fifteen years, and you know. And then um, like four years before that. Well, yeah, I mean, he's been an assistant, but dating back to the 80s. But he had Hofstra for four to five years before that as a head coach. So you know, that's a guy that you don't doubt him. He's been doing this forever, but such is life. Um. And with that, I think I'm gonna I'm I'm going I'm going to say that those are all the questions we're gonna take for uh, for this time. Um, any last thoughts? No, just looking good forward to a good Big East season. Um, you know, obviously we want to see St. John's as a strong brand in the conference do well. Um, you know, hoping Villanova turns it around, and and really I think that all of us are just hoping for several teams. You know, at least two or three teams to kind of separate themselves from the pack and and give the conference a good fighting chance to get some teams into the second weekend in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, this this was fun, man. I appreciate you having me on. It's always good to talk to you, and uh, I'm sure we'll catch up at some point during the season and, and reassess uh, some of the things that we said tonight, and we'll say, wow, look how dumb we were. <laughs> no, we're going we're, we're gonna to double down on the dumb things that we said and say that they're still going to come true because this is 2018 and that's how we roll. <laughs> That is uh, internet rule number one. Stick yeah. to your guns. Stick to your guns. Never say I'm sorry. Never say I'm wrong. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for coming along. <laughs>